0: Don't worry about that. <clears throat> Here you go for your sweat. <laughs> hello? Got me? Hello, hello? Yeah. Hello, hello? Yeah. Here it is. <laughs> All right. Um... I love you all, Um, I guess Josh could only handle one Sunday back before he had to call in a replacement again, and I don't know what I did to Josh, but for some reason I keep getting passages like (laughs) cleansing of the temple, a guy getting thrown out of the wedding banquet, and then today's uh, woes, Um, and before we kind of start Jesus is going to confront Pharisees again, and I just want to reiterate, Pharisees, um, they, they believe the right thing, they practice the right thing, um, but we'll, we'll see kind of where they um, get it wrong today. And we say Pharisees, we don't want to lump them all together. Um, I think specifically, kind of, he's in Jerusalem and it's the the, the leadership of Israel, the, the guys at the very top, um, that... That doesn't ever corrupt anybody when they get lots of power and um, things. So, you know, we, we can, uh, yeah. So, just want to kind of uh, start with that up front. So, quick recap where where we are. Um, we're in Jerusalem. Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's the Passion Week. Um, we've had the not-so-triumphal, triumphal um, entering uh, with crowds ushering Jesus into the city. Um, Like I said, just a second ago, Jesus has cleansed the temple. He's rebuked the the priests, um, the the priestly temple class. Uh, We've had conflict and questioning um, between Jesus and the leadership of Jerusalem. Um, And today's passage will kind of be Jesus' last public um, address, at least in in Matthew's ordering. Uh, It's Jesus' last address to the crowds and his last confrontation um, with some of the Jerusalem leadership. Uh, and, and in just a few days, Jesus will be hanging on a cross. So it's, it's kind of a heavy week in Matthew's gospel, um, and it's a heavy week of Jesus' teaching. Um, so I guess let's get, get going. Uh, we're going to open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 23, uh, starting in verse 1. Matthew 23. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do, because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders. They themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces. And to be called rabbi by people. But you are not to be called rabbi. Because you have one teacher. And you are all brothers and sisters. Do not call anyone on earth your father. Because you have one father who is in heaven. You are not to be called instructors either. Because you have one instructor. The Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So that's kind of the first section we'll we'll go through today there's there's more coming so um, all right so after debating and confronting the Jewish authorities and leadership in chapters 21 and 22, Jesus turns to the crowds and, and his disciples and warns them strongly about the hypocrisy of those same leaders that he's been kind of um, sparring with this last week uh, and it's kind of ramping up and and we'll get there in a second. Uh, these leaders or at least some of these leaders, claim to be faithful to God and observe the law, but, but they really don't. Um, I had a lengthy explanation. I kind of nerded out on the seat of Moses and uh, there's a couple of different views, but um, I think it's really pretty straightforward, this kind of whole section. These leaders, these scribes and Pharisees, they did everything for the praise of men. To have men follow them and call them rabbi or father or instructor, they boast about how adherent they are with their ultra religious garb and emblems, tassels and phylacteries. And I don't want to get get it wrong. Uh, elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus wears tassels because he's an obedient, observant Jew. Uh, the the I remember. The woman reaches out and grabs. It's called fringes in, in some translations, but it's really the same word as as tassels here. So, um, but but they lengthen theirs to, to show people how, um, how great they are and how observant they are and how righteous they are. Uh, they love the praise of man and recognition of man. Um, and again, we kind of want to talk about the, the Pharisees, kind of their deal is, is they're ultra-righteous, and they, they build a fence around the law of Moses. They're saying, here, here's what Moses says. Well, we're not even going to get close to that. We're going we're gonna to call the line right here um kind of a, a, a way to do this would be uh, the washing of hands so really when whenever they ate the Pharisees would would wash their hands religiously and and um, and it wasn't really ever that wasn't a law from the the book of Moses except for the the priests and the Levites who are working in the temple to cleanse themselves for the for the temple um, service um, but the Pharisees say well if it's good for them it's it's good for everybody so everybody should do it um, so they're, they're creating an, an extra kind of tradition of man and putting it on the backs of people, saying if you don't wash, you're breaking the law of Moses. But they're not. They're not breaking the law of Moses. Um, another thing would be like eating um, certain foods. And of course, there's certain foods that, that Jews aren't allowed to eat, uh, but they take it to the next level and say if a Gentile's ever come in contact with any food, you can't you can't eat it. You can't touch it. That's never in the um, the, the law of Moses Moses never teaches that so they're creating these burdensome um, rules and just putting them on the backs of the, the everyday people and, and it's, that's a heavy yoke to carry um, and again Jesus exhorts his disciples to not be like these um, corrupt leaders uh, the Pharisees um, those that exalt themselves will be humbled at the day of the Lord and Jesus is warning against his disciples not to do that Um, And he's telling them, but those that humble themselves in this age um, at Jesus' feet in submission to him would be exalted on the day of the Lord. Um, So, again, I think that passage, you can go kind of pretty deep into it, but I think it's pretty simple. Um, The Pharisees live for the praise of men, or at least these Pharisees. All right, we're going to continue in Matthew 23, verse 13. And this is—it gets pretty heavy here, so uh, just be ready, as if it wasn't already heavy. But uh, verse thirteen: Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you don't go in, and you don't allow those entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to make one disciple. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a child of Gehenna as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint and dill and cumin. And yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat but gulp down a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of bones, full of the bones of dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in those days, the days of our ancestors, we wouldn't have taken part with them in shedding the prophets' blood. So you testify against yourself that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your ancestors' sins. Um, wow. There's no wimpy Jesus here. He's not pulling any punches. Uh, he's pretty intense. Um, and here, Jesus turns and delivers seven woes to the leaders that he just warned his disciples about. So I assume he's talking to his disciples. The leaders are kind of there. And now he kind of turns and's like, yeah, you guys. I'm talking to you. Um We're going to take a look at a couple of these woes specifically, but before that, I want to make sure we kind of all are on the same page and understand what the word woe means um, in this context. Woe is often used today to mean grief or sadness, kind of befalling someone, as in woe is me, uh, but without any real responsibility for the circumstance. So woe is me because things outside my control have befallen me. Um, But that's not what it is here. Uh, Jesus is not saying you scribes and Pharisees are going to be sad because you are hypocrites. That's not what he's saying. Like That's not how... Uh, in biblical terms, and especially in prophetic language, woe is used in reference to a judgment for sin and rebellion against God. A biblical woe is a result of breaking God's covenant. Woes are sometimes delivered against all of Israel, or kind of Israel in general... Um, such as Hosea seven thirteen fourteen, 14, Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction is theirs, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they have spoken lies against me, and they do not cry to me from their heart. Or Isaiah 30, verse 1, Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan but not mine, and make an alliance but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin. Or Zephaniah 3, 1 through 4, Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled the oppressive city. She obeyed no voice. She accepted no discipline. She did not trust in the Lord. She did not approach her God. Her leaders within her are roaring lions. Her judges are wolves at evening. They have no bones to gnaw in the morning. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous men. Her priests have profaned the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. Isaiah 10, 1 through 3. Woe to those who enact unjust statutes and to those who constantly record harmful decisions so as to deprive the needy of justice and rob the poor among my people of their rights so that widows may be their spoil and that they may plunder the orphans. Kind of skipping down. Or Jeremiah twenty two thirteen. Woe to him who builds his house without righteousness and his upstairs rooms without justice. Uh... You could go on. There's plenty of woes. Uh, However, like in today's passage, woes were often pronounced not to Israel as a whole, but specifically on the leadership of Israel for leading the Lord's people astray. Um, I'm going to read two semi-long ones here, um, but they kind of fit perfectly with today's passage. Uh, Ezekiel 34, 1-4. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, This is what the Lord God says. Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should the shepherds not feed the flock. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back, nor have you searched for the lost, but with force and with violence you have dominated them. And a second one, Jeremiah 23, 1-2. Woe to the shepherds who are causing the sheep of my pasture to perish and are scattering them, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the shepherds who are attending my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away. And have not been concerned about them. Behold, I am going to call you to account for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Okay, so I went through a bunch of those, and I really just went through all of that to make clear that that nothing really new or novel is occurring between Jesus and the leadership of Israel. Um, this kind of thing has happened multiple times before. Uh, think Assyria, Babylon, all the big ones in the Old Testament. God rebuking and punishing his children when they rebel against him is a huge part of the Old Testament. Um, and he's not doing away with them. He's, he's rebuking and punishing them as, as children to bring them back to himself. Um, what does seem to be a little bit new, though, in this passage, and, and I'll actually argue that it really isn't new. It's not anything that isn't in the Old Testament either, is that Jesus' rebuke for the scribes and Pharisees is for hypocrisy while most of the Old Testament woes seem to be for when Israel is in open, outright rebellion, um, like when Israel is found worshiping idols or prostituting themselves with other gods or sacrificing their children to to Baal worship, um, those are pretty clear violations of the covenant. Like, those are big ones. Those are easy ones not to do, I would say. Um, but hypocrisy, it can't be that big of a deal, right? Like, it can't be as big a deal as those things. Um, it can't be on the level of open idolatry or human sacrifice. Uh, but Jesus' language doesn't really leave much room for this not being a big deal. Um, and I know these leaders are scheming behind the scenes to have Jesus unlawfully nailed to a cross. So that's got to factor in somehow to these woes. Um, But in this scripture today, they're being scoured for their hypocrisy over and over and over and over again. So what is hypocrisy? Um, You probably all have a definition in your head, and it's, I don't mean to be harsh, but it's probably wrong. Um, It's probably exactly backwards of what we're going to look at here. So the Oxford Dictionary is probably the one you have, which is the practice um, of claiming to have moral standards. So you say you believe this thing. Um, or beliefs, but your behavior doesn't match those beliefs, right? So your your outward is un, is worse than what you would profess to believe. Um, put simply, you're you're right on the inside, but you're wrong on the outside. That's what most people's modern view of hypocrisy is, and it's it's backwards of what the biblical hypocrisy is. It's kind of strange to get your head there. Um, So again, it's, it's our kind of definition is right inside, but weakly flesh outside isn't hypocrisy in the Bible. That's called being a human in the Bible. Like, you're going to fall short of the glory of God. Like that's, that's a given. So when it happens, we shouldn't be like, oh, that's surprising. Uh, so again, kind of going, what is the biblical definition or what is Jesus' definition of hypocrisy? We kind of go to verse 27 and 28. Um, Here, Jesus uses the analogy of whitewashed tombs to explain that the scribes and Pharisees have the appearance of cleanliness on the outside, but they are full of wickedness and lawlessness on the inside. So basically, they're right on the outside, but wrong on the inside, wicked on the inside. The scribes and Pharisees seem righteous, they wear their garments in perfect accordance with the law. They religiously wash their hands before eating, even going above and beyond the law. They pray in public and announce their fasts for all to see. But on the inside, they only yearn for the praise and admiration of men to be exalted in, place, in the place of honor by their fellow um, countrymen to enrich themselves and lord their righteousness over the su- their subjects and disciples. But God has always been after truth in the inward parts, Truth in the inward parts. Uh, Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Don't don't hear that and say the outside doesn't matter. That's not biblical either. God wants righteous acts. He wants good deeds. Um, He wants and delights in the outside being right and clean, but only if the inside is right also. Um, So Psalm 51, uh, this is a psalm of David after... David, I don't know if most, most of you probably know the story, but some of you probably don't. He murders a guy so that he can sleep with his wife, essentially not a great period in David's life. But this is him um, afterwards having have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Surely you desire truth in the inward parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You do not not delight in sacrifice without a pure heart, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. God desires truth in the inner parts, a broken and contrite heart. And again, this is a psalm of David written after Nathan comes to him and confronts him about the murder of Uriah and his adultery with Bathsheba. Um, David is not anywhere close to being righteous on the outside. Uh, he broke two of the ten big ones right there, murder and adultery, like coveting probably like three or four actually. But um, but what we see here after Nathan's been rebuked um, is we see David with a softened heart, turning to the Lord and asking God to make his heart right. Um, He's appealing to God's mercy and unfailing love. Here, David gives us a great example of what repentance looks like. Um, And this is why David is said to be a man after God's own heart. God desires repentance. He desires truth on the inside. Uh, But just so we're clear again, God also desires outward obedience. I know it says that God does not delight in sacrifice, but that same psalm at the end, presumably after David's heart um, has been restored by the Lord, uh, he comes with a contrite and broken spirit. The last verse in verse 19 of that psalm says, then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous in burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Um, so right insides and then right outsides gods after both of them, but the outside is, uh, an abomination without the inside. Um, again, Isaiah 66, kind of a different one, but, uh, this is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit with a right heart and trembles at my word, but whoever sacrifices a bull without a right heart is like one who kills a man. And whoever offers a lamb without a right heart, like one who breaks a dog's neck. Whoever makes a grain offering, again, without a right heart, is like one who presents pig's blood. And whoever burns memorial incense without a right heart, like one who worships an idol. They have chosen their ways, and their souls delight in their abominations. So throughout the Bible, God desires outward adherence to the law. That's pretty clear. But you really can't truly adhere to the law outwardly without doing so inwardly with a repentant, humble, contrite heart. The outside stuff is just fluff and show without truth in the inner parts, without a soft, repentant, humble heart. And Jesus reiterates God's desire for the heart and this relationship between insides and outsides, hearts and deeds, multiple times throughout the gospel. In Mark 7, um, 6 through 22, I'm going to skip around a little bit, but... Uh, Jesus states Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites as it is written these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me verse 20 what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean for from within out of men's hearts come evil thoughts sexual immorality theft murder adultery greed malice deceit lewdness envy slander arrogance and folly it's quite a list Um, and even in the Sermon on the Mount Uh, Jesus tells us that the law says not to murder, right? But to truly obey the law, not only do you not have to murder, but you can't be angry with your brother. Um, Because what is anger but really just committing murder in your heart? Anger leads to murder, so um, it's truth in the inward parts. Don't commit murder on the outside, sure, yeah. But true adherence is not committing murder in your heart. um, Which, I don't know, But for me, it's quite a bit harder than actually not going and murdering someone. I don't have trouble not doing that, but uh, getting angry is (laughs) a little different. Um, He does the same thing with adultery. If you truly don't want to commit adultery, you must not even look lustfully at another woman. Because that's essentially committing adultery in your heart. Um, So God desires truth in the inner parts. Soft and humble hearts, I think that's pretty clear. And again, it's not that's not a New Testament, new thing. That's from the beginning. Um, okay, so I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, Robert, will you come help with your awesome piano? Because <laughs> whatever I say from here will sound awesome, because Robert's playing the piano. So, <laughs> um, so just kind of go back through, because that's what you do when you teach, is you... Tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. Jesus is not woeing the scribes and Pharisees for their outward acts of righteousness. Um, He isn't railing against Judaism or temple sacrifices or synagogue seating arrangements or phylacteries and tassels. Um, No, Jesus is woeing the religious authorities and leaders because they have wicked, proud hearts that perform their outward acts of righteousness. Not because they fear God or want to bring Him honor, but because they love themselves. Their hypocrisy breaks both of the big commandments that Reese talked about a couple of uh, weeks ago. They don't love God, and they don't love their neighbor. Um, They lord their their positions of authority over the poor and needy, placing a heavy yoke on the backs of widows and orphans all for the exaltation of themselves in this age. They're like the shepherds that Ezekiel and Jeremiah spoke about. Shepherds that instead of caring for and looking after the sheep and helping them carry the load, they engorge themselves on the flock. And so this begs the question, um, it's easy if we can keep it in the first century and don't have to worry about it, but it begs the question, how do we keep our own hearts pure and walking in truth? How do we keep from the spirit of this age that uses people to gain wealth and praise and exaltation? How do we keep from feeling superior? Um, And it's pretty simple when you get down to it. Uh, We set our gaze on our master and his perfect act of love and sacrifice. Um, We wake up every morning and lock our eyes on the cross. On the king of the universe who humbled himself and gave himself for us rebels and sinners. Um who washed the feet of his enemies as a perfect example of a, a, a leader who is perfect on the outside but also perfect on the inside serving even the guy who's getting ready to betray him. Um, it's, you could probably we probably should just meditate on that for a while. But um, So we, we wake up we gaze at the cross we humble ourselves in service to this king and we sign up to follow him again um and we do it again and we ask god to send his holy spirit uh and give us the heart for people like david did um after he sinned he said god fix my heart um we ask for his heart so that we can love others as he loved us um and that would be my my uh, challenge to us this week would just be if you signed up, just keep signing up. Wake up every morning, pray Psalm 51, ask for a, a new heart, ask for a soft heart that day, uh so that you can follow our King um, both on the inside and on the outside. Uh and if you're here and you haven't ever done that, um or you've been in a situation with corrupt leaders who place heavy burdens on you. Uh, I'm sorry for that, but that's not uh, Jesus' instruction. Um, so don't don't put that on Jesus, uh, the King. That's that's we humans doing human stuff that's going to happen. Um, so if you've never done that, or you uh, kind of shirk back from that, uh, grab an elder during the prayer meeting. Uh, grab me, grab Josh, grab any m- member of CLC, and uh, we'll help you. Um, maybe look at Jesus through a, through a new light, or 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 help you in that. Uh, please join me in prayer, uh, Father. Um, we just thank you, and we ask that you would give us um, soft hearts. That whatever we've done this week, whether it's it was a good week of obedience or a bad week of obedience we know we fell short in in a lot of ways um, and we just come to you uh, and ask for your mercy and we thank you for uh, Jesus example um, of what it means to to sacrifice for the sake of others to to run the race to um, and to show us what you truly delight in, which is uh, serving others, humbling ourselves, um, so that we can be exalted one day uh, through the power of Jesus' cross and His death, um, and and keep us from a spirit where we we lord uh, things over people. Um, we just we just ask for soft hearts this week, and and your spirit to help us walk obediently uh, in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, we can have the elders up. Uh, we're going to have a prayer. Uh, we just kind of ask that you don't check out, that you um, pray with someone, pray by yourself in your seat, pray with your neighbor. Um, Ask the Lord. Open your Bible. Pray Psalm 51. If you if you don't know what else to pray, uh, read over it a couple times. Uh, but don't check out. Pray with someone, um, and we invite you up to pray with uh, one of the elders.